0: I got a, a buddy that actually go, goes to this church, so I won't say who it is, um, or has moved on now, but I think they're, they come back and visit. But one thing I really appreciate about this, this buddy of mine is, he comes from a, uh, a Pentecostal background. Anybody come from Pentecostal background, charismatic Pentecostal background? Yeah, it's great. Um, but one of the things I really enjoy is when you pray for him, he, he, he talks back to you when you're praying for him. And so, like, I'm praying for him, and I'll say, you know, Blank, would you just just bless this man? And he'll say, I receive that. I receive that. That is cool. That is really cool. I I grew up in a a mainline, no one says anything at any time, denomination, so it was kind of shocking for me at first. But there's something about that. I receive that. See, because you can pray for somebody, and then they can have their hands like this, and it's like, no way, not going to have anything to do with that. While we're worshiping here, I just realized that I need a little bit of time, and maybe you do too, to just open up our hearts and say, I want to receive that. So I'm going to give you about 20 seconds here, just to kind of, anything on your mind, anything that's, you know, maybe you got some bitterness that's raging within you, maybe you got some anger. Maybe you got some unresolved something or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is that would stop you from receiving whatever the Lord would have for you this day. Hey, let's get that thing out of the way. So let's take about 20 seconds here or so and just kind of spend some time with the Lord and, and open your hearts to receive it. Let's pray. Lord, last week we looked at the passage that says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then the next verse says, Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries. Cast all your cares. And God, right now we want to do that. We want to lay him at your feet. We want to acknowledge that we are dependent beings, that you are the independent one. You don't need us. But God, we need you. So we pray right now, even as we look at your word together this morning, this is just going to be an academic exercise. If you don't buy your spirit, come, and if we don't in our spirit say, I receive that. So would you just come now and make us be recipients of what you'd have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. This is a really, really, really cool day, Um, and I noticed none of you wore costumes, so That's not why I'm saying it's a really, really cool day. Does anyone know in church history what day this is? Anyone? Huh? Very, not there in the cheap seats. I hear it. Reformation Day. This is Reformation Day. Huh? Nobody knows even what that is, huh? This is the day. This is the day in 1517 where one of my heroes... Martin Luther, so look at that. I've made friends with the Lutherans and the Pentecostals in the, in the room already. <laughs> Martin Luther stuck to, well, it's not actually that door, but it that door would have been there, but the door burned down. But it was a copy of a door. He would have stuck to it. He would have stuck his 95 theses on October 31st, 1517, 487. Did I have my math right? 487 years ago. Martin Luther did something that you're sitting here and enjoying the fruit of. Martin Luther was a guy who was studying law at a university. And one day, as the story goes, and we think this is right, but historians say that Martin Luther was caught in a storm, was also almost killed by lightning. And in that flash, he promised, God, God, I'll do anything if you get me out of this. I'm sure many of you have prayed that before. Martin Luther actually followed up on it. And he went into the monastery. In 1505 he entered the Augustinian Monastery. In 1507 he became a priest. He got sent to Rome in 1510. But he got very uh, disenchanted with the ritualism and the, the dead faith that he found. And he was very bright. And so he started teaching theology in the university. And in 1515 he came across the Paul's epistle to the Romans. I'm sure he'd read it before, but now he was going to teach it. And it was during that time that he found this. He writes this. He says, My situation was that although an impeccable monk, meaning he was the perfect monk, I stood before God as a sinner, sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assurge him. Night. And uh, You understand what he's saying? He's saying, all my good stuff is not going to make up for the fact that I'm a sinner. He was getting this from teaching the book of Romans. And he realized, I'm in deep trouble here. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God, guilty people go to hell, and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. uh, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Paul for the first time in his life realized it's not because I... Paul, excuse me. Uh, I think Paul had it figured out. Uh, Luther figures out for the first time in his life, it's not because I stack up all this good stuff or become a monk that I get into heaven. In fact, he says if I stack that on the scales, it's still lacking because I'm such a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And he says he's even an impeccable monk. But for the first time in his life, in 1515, it hits him, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I have no hope. I've done everything I could possibly do. What do I do? And he figures out, that it's through the cross. Now, you're going to say, uh, hello, duh. No, that was lost in the Middle Ages. That was lost. It was lost through a lot of things. It was lost through greed. It was lost through a a series of corruption, false teaching. And one of the things that got lost by is just sheer money. After Luther made this discovery in 1515, he, then there was this, this movement that, that happened. What they wanted to do was build a new church, a basilica, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And how do you raise money for a church? Well, you have a building program. Nope, that's not what they did then. What they did is they sold these things called indulgences. You could buy two or three of them and have fun on the weekend because you're covered. You bought the forgiveness ahead of time, And you could go afterwards and go sinning. What a deal. Hamlet, write that down. That might not be a bad idea. (laughs) Building program. They even had a little jingle. A guy by the name of Johann Tetzel had a little jingle. And the jingle went like this. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I'm sure it went better in German. But the, the concept was you can save some time in purgatory, which... That's a made-up thing anyway. But you can save some time. He just gives these money and buy an indulgence. And you can go have fun. And you're covered because you've given money to the church. Luther didn't like that. When he made the discovery that it was through grace alone that you came to Christ. And you were saved of your sin. And you were on your way towards heaven. He didn't like that. So he posted on that door 95 different sentences. They're called theses. 95 different sentences. Luther had issues, okay? He just posted them right there. Now, that was a common thing back in those days. If you, if you wanted people to come and debate you on an issue, you posted it on the door, and then uh, regional scholars would come and, and check it out. And there's all these pictures, if you see, of the Reformation where they have this picture of Luther banging on the door, and there's, like, like scores of people all up in arms, uh, that wasn't the case. He just came and nailed it up there and walked away. And it wasn't for weeks and weeks and weeks that people even thought it was a big deal. And it really wasn't a big deal until his, this 95 idea started spreading. And in 1520, remember this is 1517 when he nails it up there, in 1520 the Pope issues a decree and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, to Windows 95, uh-uh, bad, or excuse me, door 95, no. And Luther takes the decree and publicly burns it in 1520. Ooh. Ooh. Step over the line. Ooh. (laughs) And he steps over the line. The Reformation is born in 1520. You and I stand firmly in the tradition of Martin Luther. He's one of my heroes. That, That is nothing but Christ alone that you receive forgiveness from. This is Reformation Day, party, we should pass out candy and go knock on people's doors or something like that. There really is no good way to segue here, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, this is our 40th message in the book of Acts. Wow, 40th message. I didn't think we had that long of attention span. I certainly don't, but we are 40 messages in and out. We've laid it out we're going to be done with, with pretty much on schedule by the end of July um, where we had... Kind of hope to be about a year and a half, year and three quarters, about what we said we were going to try to do. Um, and so what I want to do is, if you're new to us here, you've been new in the first few, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a recap. Every 40 messages we're going to give you a recap so you kind of know what's going on. <laughs> so if you got a Bible in front of you, um, open it up to Acts chapter 10. And you know what, first guy to or person, person, guy, gal, woman, man, uh, to grab one from the pew there, shout out the number where Acts 10 is, so we can all. I think they're all the same, and if they're not, make it more interesting. But somebody got it, shout it out 778. Seven, seven, it's in 778, Acts chapter 10. Acts is in the New Testament. I'm having a hard time finding it myself. There we go. Kind of, I can put the little marker thing, you know, so I don't look like I like I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't. Okay. Acts chapter 10. Okay, we're going to kind of pick it up from Acts chapter 10. I'm going to give you a little bit of a buggy ride through the, this part of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 10, something amazing happens. Peter gets this vision, if you remember, Peter gets this vision about uh, the sheep coming down and animals are in it, and the, the, the Spirit of God speaks to him through this vision saying, eat it. In other words, saying you can be among people who are not Jewish, to, to make the story short. And there's a guy by the name of Cornelius we, we meet in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius is a very good guy, but he's not a Jew and he's not a Christian yet. Peter goes to his house, takes a, a series of circumstances to get him there. He goes there and ends up finding out that non-Jewish people can become Christians without having to become Jewish. Now, again, to us this is like, whoa, that's no big deal. But to them that was a huge huge deal. So at the end of chapter 10 we see what happens and then in chapter 11 all the way through verse uh, 17 he is explaining it to the other apostles thinking I'm a dead man but in verse 18 if you look at it it says when they heard this they had no further objections and praised God saying so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance under unto, unto faith. I don't know if they totally gotten over the racism saying even the Gentiles but they They at least now are saying they are welcomed in. And so that's a big major thing. Then Chris Wachter, uh, when I was gone one week at the men's retreat, he preached on this section on the church in Antioch. And you can see how it's spreading. He showed you a map. I'll show you a map in a little bit. But church goes from Jerusalem and it starts spreading out everywhere. And you see this church happening all the way up into Antioch. You can see in verse 19 it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, were from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. the very end of that section, if you skip down, uh, they talk about a famine that's going to come, and if you look at verse uh, 30, or make it 29, they said, The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is important that you, you hang with me here, because what happens is, and just like in life, you know, when you got more than one person, you got all kinds of things going on. you got this, 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 and this. And then meanwhile, back at the ranch, you got this over, and then over here. Okay, hit the pause button for a second, Because we're going to come right back to that. He hit the pause button, then this whole other thing happens. And that's what happens in chapter 12. Chapter 12, Peter gets in trouble with Herod and gets put to prison. Before that, though, James um, James and John, those two were brothers. James gets put in prison, and he's actually put to death. And then... Peter is also picked up and they think, oh great, this is going to be, it. we've got the big kahuna now and we're going to do the same thing to him. And while he's waiting to get either tried or um, persecuted or perhaps put to death again, either by the sword or however they were going to do it, he gets out. An angel of the Lord lets him out. And I love that line from Kor's sermon, there you are, the, uh, the line where he says uh, it was easier for him to get out of prison than for him later to get into the house where the apostles were, because when he comes to the house where the apostles were, they're praying, and you kind of make the assumption even they're praying for him, and they hear him, and they go, wow. They leave the door locked, and they go and talk about it, and they say, no, it must be his ghost, which somehow that's more realistic than the person there, but he, so they, they leave him there, and they tell, they tell the, the, the lady, they say, you're out of your mind, and she keeps insisting that he's there, so it must be his angel. And, and, and what's going on? And finally, they keep, Peter keeps knocking, and they let him in finally. And so Peter gets to come into there. And so we saw that, uh, uh, this is something that really encouraged me about this passage. I'm not sure if Cor mentioned this or not. Here they are, they've been praying, and they're even inside praying, and when the answer to their prayer happens, they miss it at first. And that encourages me, because I do that all the time. I pray for something and at first you're like, oh yes God, oh yes Lord, you can make something miraculous happen. The Vikings could win a Super Bowl or something will awesomely happen and when you first start praying it, you just, you open your eyes and you expect it to happen and it doesn't happen. It's just keep praying for it and then by the time that it does happen, you're kind of like, no, that didn't, no, Peter's at the, no, it's his angel. It's a body double. No, 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 no. That encourages me. Carol, my wife, prayed for her father for 31 years. 31 years that he would trust Christ. And I shared last week how he did right before, uh, a few months before his death. And so those things, just keep praying. Keep praying. Peter might come to the door. Um, And then last week we looked at Herod. And uh, God puts a pretty severe judgment on Herod, not for persecuting the church so much, but more that he didn't acknowledge God. Because there's a part where he's giving a talk, he's giving a a message to a group of people, and the people shout out, the voice of a God! And Herod doesn't say, okay, I'm good, but I'm not God. He just kind of says, hey, bring it. And it says, immediately, immediately, he was struck down. In fact, We found out last week at the end of that chapter I have a slide for this Maddie if you could go to it It says immediately because Herod did not give praise to God an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died and then verse 24 but the word of the Lord continued to increase and spread Herod worms dead word of God alive continuing spreading Huh? (laughs) contrast big contrast there So now we're going to pick it up this week, and what happens? Now, hit that unpause button from what happened to Paul, excuse me, Saul. Oh, after this week, I can just call him Paul. So looking forward to that. Keep messing that up. Hit that unpause button from this whole Peter and Herod thing, and we're going to go right back to what happened. In Acts 12, verse 25, the last verse of that chapter. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... Remember their mission? Their mission was to to gather money for this famine that was happening and to bring it to Jerusalem. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, this verse right here is a tipping point in the book of Acts. From this point on, We will no longer really be following Peter at all. He's going to come up again in Acts chapter 15, but he's almost a side character in that. We are now going to follow the ministry of Paul, the guy who once was a persecutor of Jesus. Now we're going to follow him, as he's going to travel all over the place telling about this person that he once persecuted. Everything's going to shift here at Acts 12, 25. One more thing to mention and then we'll kind of move on to what we're doing. Uh, there's this guy by the name of John. He's also called Mark. Tradition tells us, we don't have biblical evidence, but tradition tells us that this is the young man who probably was from Jerusalem and probably either had eyewitness accounts of Jesus or was a very close, uh, had, had others influence him and he could uh, be told directly what happened to Jesus and he was most likely the author of the Gospel of Mark. That's all what uh, history tells us. We don't have that in the scripture, but just to kind of get you a little bit caught up with who this guy is. Okay, now we're in chapter 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lycius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, so here's, here's this church in Antioch. The Antioch is north of, they always say down though, uh, probably because they didn't have maps that pointed north, but also just because Jerusalem was up on a hill and everything was down from it. So no matter where you went from Jerusalem, you were going down. Here's this church staff. There's five people. Barnabas, Simeon, Lycius, Menean, and Saul. You've got to think about this for a second. This is a pretty diverse group of people. First, you got Simeon; that's a Jewish name, but he's also called Niger, which is Latin for black. So this guy's probably from Africa. He's probably an African. I was going to say African American, but he'd know it had African Antiochian or something. But he was, he would have been an African man. <laughs> then you got L- L- Lucius; it's a Roman name. Then you get men man. Oh man you got Menean, and it says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is where it gets confusing. Remember last week you had all those Herods? This is not the Herod who just cacked. It's the Herod <laughs> that's the cousin of that Herod, and this cousin is the one who had John the Baptist put to death. And what this phrase meant, brought up with, was one of two things. One is it was either that they were nursed by the same uh, mother but, or maybe a nursing uh, they had a nurse, a wet nurse, but probably it means that you know, these rich and, and very famous people didn't let their kids just hang out with anybody, so they like, selected kids and said, you're going to come and hang out and be my kid's plaything. And that was kind of your role in life, was to be a plaything of, of the Herod or the king, and that's what happened. Most likely that's what this was. And so here's this guy who could have been second in command, Probably next to Herod at that time. And instead, he chooses to be a follower of Christ. He's one of the leaders there. And then in the midst of all this, you've got Barnabas and Rabbi Saul. Can you, that's a pretty diverse meeting. You'd be sitting sitting around. Now, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see, see what's happening there? They're, they're worshiping. They're fasting. It could be as a church or it could be just a staff meeting. Probably the church. Whole church came together. And God through the Holy Spirit or God the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, I want 40% of your staff to go. Set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I want to kind of take this little chunk a little, little bit by a little bit because this is really the meat of what we want to talk about today. It says they were worshiping the Lord. Actually, literally it says they were ministering to the Lord. is that a great phrase? They were ministering to the Lord. When you worship, you have an audience of one. It's not these people up front. They're just lead worshipers. It's not anybody else in this room. And you're doing it on your own. It's no one else who'd be happen to be what you got an audience of one. You are ministering to God by giving him praises. Isn't that cool? That's a cool thought. They were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting. They were not eating for a period of time to seek the Lord's direction or for whatever reason they were they were abstaining from food. And it was during that time that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and He said, "Set apart, or separate, separate out." For me. Separate out for me. I'm taking these two. These are for me. Not for their own glory, but for me. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And then it says, for the work to which I have called them. Now, if you are at all pondering going into a lifestyle of ministry. If that's something you're thinking about and people often say, well, do you have, do you have the calling? Do you have the calling? Someone's calling right now. <laughs> you couldn't get better timing on that. All you do is you pick up the phone, you say, hello. Whoa. <clears throat> i got to give you five bucks, but that was awesome. Um, The phrase, do you have a call from God? Describe your call. I have searched the scriptures on this thing. And that's it. That's the passage. When I was on staff, right before I was going to go on staff with a ministry called the Navigators, the, the big kahuna asked me to study the scriptures to look through what it means to be called. And so I did, and he had this sheet that had all these verses on calling and called and so on. So I went through every single one of them. I want a calling, called, call, all that stuff. None of them, except this one, refers anything to do with a vocation of ministry. Every other one has to do with being called by God to be a Christian. Not one of them has anything to do with, oh, I got a calling. This is it. If you're looking for the passage, bingo, this is it. And so it caused me to go, okay, either you're tricking me or this is a really bad Bible study. I'm not sure which it is. So I did a little work on my own. And I've talked with many, many of you in this room who are considering some form of ministry, whether it's just going on a short-term thing or a long-term mission or a long-term going into pastoral service or whatever. And you say, How do I know that I'm called? And so from that study and from many, many conversations with many people in this room, I think there are three basic things as you think biblically about what does it mean to be called that you think about. First thing is, is the Holy Spirit doing something in your life that would make you consider this? Is the Holy Spirit leading you? Is it evident with you? Do you feel a sense of leading Acts 13, 2, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul, there's something going on within you or within others around you that makes you think about that. The only other passage that even comes close to this is where, uh, I use the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus was God, obviously, and he chooses 12 disciples. Mark 3, 13 through 15, which I don't have written down. So uh, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to those called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. That's a calling. I mean, that's obvious, right? Jesus just says, you're coming after me, and you're going to be one of my leaders. Oh, okay. I mean, that's simple. Obviously, Christ is not around in the physical form on earth anymore, so we, you look at the, is the Holy Spirit doing something like that in your life? As you say, I receive it, is the Holy Spirit doing something like that in your life? Second thing. This is a huge one with me. Do you want to do it? <laughs> I can't tell you what people I've met with who say, oh, man. Uh, they have this, this view of God, and I had this view of God, too. I had this view of God that uh, if I came to Christ, he would make me want to do the worst thing possible. Oh, shoot, you got me there. And I actually thought it was, I'll have to marry some really ugly person. <laughs> Obviously it didn't come through. I mean, if you put the two of us together, you can see who God answered that prayer for. <clears throat> <laughs> I have this thing where people come to me and they say, Oh man, you know, I just think if I trust God, if I open up the heart of my my heart and I say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, He's gonna send me to Google Google Land. (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) Failed geography. This verse, second, 1 Timothy 3:1, says this. It says, if anyone, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone desires to. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Do you want it? Do you want to go to Google Google Land? If you don't, now I'm not saying for sure, because sometimes God does send you places that you're thinking, uh, not so sure, but most of the time, you, you, you cannot not do it. It's like burning within you. You cannot not do it. It's on purpose a double negative. I'm not just speaking like I normally do wrong. But you are saying, if I don't do this, there's something within me that's going to explode. That's the second thing. There's actually a deep desire within you. The third thing is, we're going to see this in the next verse in Acts, but it's the church body and the leadership confirm it. So oftentimes I think it's like, oh, I'm supposed to figure it out. No, we're going to see in just a minute that it's while they're worshiping, And I I think the whole church was there and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and they confirm it. You're going to see in Acts chapter uh, 13, 3, he says, uh, they fasted and prayed and then they laid hands on them and sent them. The church confirms it. So you, you ask yourself, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. I feel this sense of God. I really want to do it. But what do you think? Do you think that's within who God has made me to be? And do you think it makes any sense? And sometimes your leadership will say, no, I think that's crazy. Other times they'll say, yeah. Many of you in this room, many of you in this room may have that kind of thing on your life. Might be for a short-term thing. It might be not a vocational thing where you have to step out of employment and go into a different employment. It might be. But I think many in this room, if, if God is moving in the way he was then, and I certainly believe that he is now, many of us in this room are being challenged, even as I'm speaking right now, to be set apart. I'm asking you today to consider it. What better day than Reformation Day? To consider, God, would you, is this something for me? Would you have me to be set apart for something special? Open your heart to the possibility that God might take you for a ride, an incredible ride, an awesome ride, Open your heart to that that he might call you, and if you want to call it that. How did the church respond? Verse 3 said we talked about this. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They didn't hold back their their two best prophets and teachers. They didn't hold them back, they let them go. You see that right away. It says verse 3: So, after the Holy Spirit speaks, so after they prayed and fasted, they let them go. They did it by praying, they did it by fasting. Then they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This is very hard to do. Two years ago now in the other building when we watched about 25 of our people that we had asked to consider this but when Pat Conkey and his wife Jane and others got up front and we sent them off I felt like my heart was going to be ripped out. These were dear friends, and we were sending them over to Frogtown to start a new church. So I think of uh, one of my dearest friends in this, in this church, Norm Meyer. Normie listens online almost every week, so hi, Normie. Uh, and he got a call. He felt very clear, and we all confirmed it, that God was preparing him to go to seminary and then perhaps to be going overseas. And I can't tell you how much, A, I miss the guy... But be how proud I have him that he's willing to do. He's willing to step away from something that he knows and he's willing to go. So I want to make a commitment to you. I asked you to consider something. I'm going to make a commitment to you today. If you feel that sense, I don't care who you are, how much entrenched in the leadership and hope you are, if you feel that sense where God is speaking to you, set apart your name for the work to which I've called them, and you get it confirmed by those things we talked about, I will joyfully... And enduringly. (laughs) I can't think of another word. I don't want to say mourningly because I do mourn. One thing I hate about the Christian life is because I I become so good friends with so many people and they just go. And that's a good thing, but it drives me nuts too. I commit myself today that if you sense God's leading to leave, to go and do something else, that I will support it and I will joyfully and enduringly cheer you on. Okay. Verse 4. After all of that, after being set apart, after the church sponsors them, encourages them, supports them, lays hands on them, sends them off, they are going to be sent off. Verse 4, it says the two of them, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to to Paphos. Now, this is what is going to be known, this verse right here and all the way through the end of chapter 14 is going to be known as Paul's first missionary journey. And so I got a map here and I got a laser point. Well, oh, I could check this. Oh, where'd it go? There we go. Huh? And so here they're in Antioch right here. And they're going to do this trick. They're going to trek by, I assume by boat or they're very good swimmers. And they go from here to this island of Cyprus. And they go to Salamis, it says here. And they talk to people in the Jewish synagogues. And they travel the whole thing all over the place. I'm sure this is how they went. And then they go to Paphos right here. And that's where we're going to pick it up. But that's their first leg here. And we're going to go through chapter 14. They're going to go up here, coming around over here, over there, and then up. No, just kidding. Uh, so that is what, what Paul's going to be doing now, is traveling throughout this whole island. And he's going to be talking in the Jewish synagogues, trying to reason that, that Jesus is the Christ. Look at the second part of verse 6. There, there, when they're at the other end of that island at Paphos, they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, this proconsul thing basically means he was governor, he was the big cheese of the entire island. The proconsul, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that, what his na- that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So you got this picture. you got the governor of, the, of, of this island, and he's getting intrigued by what's happening. These people are traversing all over the place on his island, and they come to his place where he's at in Prophos or Paphos, excuse me, and he starts to get intrigued by it. And I like that little insert insertion there where it says, he was an intelligent man. I don't know if they did that kind of as a joke because he wanted to talk to Barnabas and Saul or, or, or what. But he was in a smart cookie. But there's this sorcerer who somehow had an in with this governor who was opposing this whole thing. In fact... He tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So this advisor who happens to be a sorcerer is saying, whoa, dude, don't do it. Check the horoscope. Bad day. Stay inside day. Don't do it. You need to know something. If you're going to follow Christ and you're going to be involved in, in any type of ministry whatsoever, you need to know that there's going to be opposition. You need to know that you are smack dab in the middle of a war. And one of the amazing things and, and I know as Christians we know that we know that there are spiritual forces of evil working through all kinds of things especially people to mess us up. And yet as Christians we're always shocked when we go what what? Why are they shooting at me? Think of how silly that is in a war. Why are they shooting at me? That is such a stupid thing. And yet we think that is no. When you're in a war, expect to be shot at. You've got a big target on your back. And here he's getting opposed. Then Saul, verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul. Okay, from this point on, he is going to be called Paul. It was his Roman name, Paulos. It means little. I suppose that wasn't the most nice thing to be called, but it, it, it was his name. And he used it the rest of the way throughout the book of Acts. And he uses it the rest of the time. All the time he writes a Bible because he's speaking to people who are non-Jews. He's speaking to, to Gentile people, and he's going to use the name Paul from there on. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now think of that. Think of this in in context. Here's Paul. He's, He's a foreigner to this land. He's talking with the governor. There's one of the governor's aides standing right there, and he turns to him in nice Norwegian and says, you're a child of the devil. An enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Not good Norwegians don't do that. But that's what Paul does. How does he get away with that? Is that being a nice Christian? Look what it says. It says, next slide. There we go. No, go back. Where am I? Don't have that one. Wow, you're good. How'd you do that? Maybe I did that. Son of a gun. Okay, anyway, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He could do that. There are times, ladies and gentlemen, when you need to take the gun of rebuke and pull both barrels at people. There are times when you need to say things about as straightforward and right over the head as you can. If you've ever sat in on an intervention where someone's got chemical abuse, drug or alcohol abuse, you need to pull both barrels and say, listen, I love you, but you're a child of the devil. No, no, you don't say that. You you just speak it out straight. And here's what Paul does. And when that happens, immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about. And look what happens as the result of... When the Holy Spirit called, they left. And when the Holy Spirit said, Speak these, albeit harsh words to this guy, look what happens, verse 12. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, as we close, I want to challenge you with something. What is the Holy Spirit asking you to consider? Is there at all an inkling within you that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do something outside of your comfort zone for his sake? Is there something, even when we started with that 20, 30 seconds of silence that I say, I want to receive this, that God was asking you to do? Let me just encourage you, do it. Step out. If it's something he's asking you to do on a short term, get it done. If it's something he's asking you to do on a long term, seek Wisdom from other people. Ask God in prayer. Keep going on in that. Seek the advice from the other people in this church or if you're part of other groups or Bible studies, ask them what they think. Before I came on staff with the Navigators, I wrote about five people that I knew and asked them, am I, am I crazy of thinking about going into a life of ministry? I asked uh, the two people who in my life are, I don't make any major decision without asking. My father... And the guy who led me to Christ, Tom Larson. I don't, I don't make major decisions without asking those two people. This morning I want to ask you, is the Holy Spirit doing something in your life that you need to step out and to do? For some of you in this room, the Holy Spirit's asking you for the first time in your life to maybe consider that he's there at all. And you're sitting there going, man, I just came in here just because I got drugged. It was an hour later. I thought, oh, I'll just go to church, I guess. And for the first time in your life, the Holy Spirit's saying, hello, I want to get to know you. Just just open up doors to your life to let me know you. For others in this room, you've been riding the fence, saying, where am I going to be with God? Am I going to be on his side? Am I going to be a follower of Jesus? Or am I going to be someone who's just kind of learning about it and kind of checking it out? And you're on that fence. And it could be this morning, Reformation Sunday, where you nail to the door saying, Lord today, today I decide to tip over, and today I'm going to be a follower of you. I'll go whatever you want. I'll do it. Whatever I'm holding back, today I'll let it go. Let's pray. God, I just ask by your spirit that you would come and, and fill this room with your presence. You'd fill it so that when we leave here, we've made it very clear in our hearts and mind that, that you've spoken to us, whether it's just a, a word of comfort, or whether it's an encouragement, or whether it's a conviction to stop doing something that we know doesn't please you and isn't satisfying to us either, or being duped by sin. Especially, Lord, this morning I pray for those in this room who I believe you are setting apart. Maybe they're just brand new in their faith, but you're starting to do a work in their life to set them apart, and perhaps for a lifetime of ministry, a lifetime of being a servant of you. So, God, I just pray you'd come. I pray we'd look back at this day and and people would say, I was on Reformation Sunday, that the Lord spoke to me and that I, I decided I wanted to go overseas or I decided that I wanted to be involved in leading a Bible study or or... Being involved with people in my workplace or whatever it is, God, would you just come and encourage us to be set apart for Your glory, God? Lord, too, I just, I just echo what Tim was saying before about would you just be, would you just be blunt with us, God? Would you just speak truth to us and be honest with us so that we can hear what you have to say? If it's a harsh word like Paul gave to uh, the sorcerer, God, would would we hear even that? Would we hear the harsh word from you? that we need to hear. But then, God, not so that we reject it, but so that our, it opens us up like a, like a walnut being cracked so we can enjoy what's the good fruit inside. And so, God, I ask for that here, that you would do that, even in my life too, Lord God, that you just come and minister to us, even as we close in these songs. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.